welcome back to Gin and Topic. Welcome back to Gin and Topic. Topic. If you've forgotten, I'm Sarah. And I'm Anya. And we drink gin. And we don't know anything. (laughs) But it's okay, because we've got a load more experts. We've got some really cool topics, and we're going to find out about them. Yeah, while drinking gin. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Hello. Hello. Another week. Another week. How you doing? I'm all right. Yeah. I'm ready for gin. Well, luckily for you, you you're not ready for gin. <laughs> I'm not today, no. no. But that's all right. Perhaps the guest and the gin can win you round. But you know, this week we are talking to Dr. B.J. Epstein. And she is a senior lecturer in the School of Literature, Drama and Creative Writing at the University of East Anglia. Mm -hmm. And she is looking at children's literature. Nice. Okay. These are all good things for me. I was going to apply to UEA. Didn't because I wasn't going to get three A's. I did creative writing, not at UEA. So, so far, going well. Yeah, going well. Um, And we love a children's book. Oh, I love a children's book. Jacqueline Wilson... They basically raised me. Um, they did, didn't they? Oh, I love Jacqueline you Wilson. You did. You yeah. were constantly Harry reading. Potter, children's Obviously literature, but massive fan of. Yeah. 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 Um, Alex Ryder. Alex Ryder. Obviously, but now we're getting book. up to teen things. Oh, my God. Secret Garden. Secret you were obsessed Garden with. I was obsessed with that. And Famous Five was absolute. And Famous Five. Yeah. Loved them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, thinking of all of those books. Yeah. yeah. All right. Our question mm-hmm. is... Are we representing the diversities of life? (laughs) No, absolutely not. I mean, maybe it's changed because I am now in my early 20s. I'm not reading children's literature on the regular. I think there was a little bit of a push near the end of my sort of childhood reading towards that area. But when I was younger, it wasn't really mentioned at all in any sense of diversity, in body type, in race, in colour, in gender, in anything, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. And I know buying for your sister yeah. that actually um, finding good female mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. lead yeah. roles in children's books is really hard, mm-hmm. um, especially for how they're portrayed and the stereotyping of those genders. Yeah, mm-hmm. And I often find that it could be hard as a writer because of the need to have those diversities. So then it is that well, Sarah, we'll write them do you in know who because you're speaking we've got to, to today. You're speaking to a writer. I know. I am technically a writer. I have an undergrad in creative writing and I am doing my master's in screenwriting. And do you find that there's a push to represent those diversities all of the time in your writing? I think it depends because I think there's two conversations going on. There's who should be doing this and there's the conversation about having more voices around the table who are actually representing that diversity and therefore can write it authentically because I'm not black. I couldn't necessarily understand the intricacies of writing about that. Yeah, but I don't think that should stop you from writing a character. Absolutely not. Like I would obviously have characters of colour in I don't tend to actually put what my unless it's explicitly needed I don't really because most of my scripts aren't focusing on that kind of thing but I would like to think that all those scripts my characters could be of any race um well and that's what I like I like to be able to pick up a book mm. where you put into it what you would like that character to be things like it's reasonable things like if you describe a character as blushing 
a black woman isn't going to blush. Yeah. So like reading Queenie, which is an amazing book, I think everyone should read it. It was really amazing to see that there were just little throwaway things about, you know, just black culture. And if you're reading something and there's a character, let's say, who's fasting because they might be Muslim, then you're going to have that little moment of, oh, mm. no, whatever. And it's just nice to have little bits of representation that at least. Yeah. But then I think if I was to write a story that was all about growing up as a black woman, I would be the wrong person to do that. Yeah. So I want to have characters in mind who are representative. And let's bring this back to children's literature literature again because Mm -hmm. if we're looking at children's literature a lot of it is about being able to find yourself yeah it's often very hard when you start reading them to just Mm. go I just don't connect with these people I think that's why I quite like Jacqueline Wilson I wish she'd been able to write a story about gay girls that would have been great but it was it wasn't really done at that time and that I suppose that's the difficulty as well is you've got to write something that can sell that well, yeah, one would be published because you've yeah. got to get through the publishers yeah, that's true. and then it's got to be able to sell. Yeah. So I think our answer to it at the moment is no, we no. don't think it's being no. represented I enough. Think... Writers are trying, but we're not necessarily always getting it right. But I'd also like to know exactly what's going on because, you know, obviously uh, children grow up and so we're not really in touch with children's I'm still very much in touch with young moment. adult fiction though nobody worry about that <laughs> yeah I think you can always be as an adult right so let us welcome BJ in and we'll talk about children's literature and then we'll get on to this gin I've got thoughts which has connections with children's literature too okay you tell me Jacqueline Wilson's gone into the gin making business <laughs> no she hasn't Being able to talk <laughs> literature um, is, of course, just taps into all it's, of Anya's yeah. favourite little spots. This is my world. Oh, that's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> so she's in a happy place. I'm so happy. Which is always very good. Um, and it does obviously mean that we have a lot more to talk about in terms of what what we think you we mean know, that then, i might yeah, actually have knowledge i was once a child i read children's books <laughs> exactly. i now write i have things but it has been a really long time since i was a child <laughs> and reading children's books and children grow up and say so example a we don't necessarily have current knowledge of children's literature, so I am sure there is a ton that we can learn. Are you going to suggest we start drinking first? We do need to. Good. I thought so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we can't learn stuff without a drink. It's true. <laughs> I'm intrigued by this one, I have to say. Yes, I'd never seen anything like it. And obviously no. because of the name, when I saw that it was called... Bayer and Gimbal, and I thought, well, that's from Lewis Carroll. So it's from children's literature. The name is from uh, the Jabberwocky poem. Yeah, Those are words it's one of Carroll my utter favourites. I had no idea. <laughs> I adore the Jabberwocky poem. Yeah, the Gyre and Gimbal. And the whole, so it is from um, Norwich. Yeah, so when I heard about it, I thought, well, that's going to be perfect because it's local to me. Obviously, I'm located yeah. in Norwich. And it's children's literature, so it just seemed like the ideal thing for us to try. It's perfect. And the Guy and Gimbal, they do a whole load of different gins, um, and they're all Lewis Carroll inspired. Yes. Um, And this one is the Queen of Hearts. Oh, I know the Queen of Hearts. 
And <laughs> this Queen of Hearts is a cherry gin. Intriguing. Yeah. I've never had a cherry gin before. Never had a cherry gin. I'm quite a gin purist and normally I don't do flavoured, but I'm intrigued to try this. I feel like it's going to feel quite indulgent. Yeah, yeah that's what I feel as well. Yeah. And I'm just going to have to read bottle because I like this. Sweet cherries infused with juniper, custard apples and spices are dil- diluted down with cherry juice to create a full flavoured and fruity gin. Hit me. Let's pour away. So we are trying this. Neat. <laughs> Neat. I don't know if that was a mistake, but it seemed like a good idea at the time. Yeah. I think it might be. To get the full gin flavour. And this is the first that we've tried neat. (laughs) Have you just stuck your nose in? Yeah. (laughs) God, you could get drunk just off the smell. Yes, it's got a very strong smell. Wow. I'm scared now. Oh. Oh. Wow. Wow. I mean, it's actually really nice. (laughs) Now... Trying it neat, I immediately think, oh, it's going to be like a liqueur. It's going to be like a whiskey or something like that. And it is, it's very cherry-ish. Yeah. It's got quite sour cherry taste. It's not too sweet. No, which is good. It's lovely. You don't want to be drinking cherry juice. You want it to have that kind of sour flavour. So I think that's good. Oh dear, that's actually quite nice. It's It's warming. really warming and really nice. Yeah, I'm feeling it. Yeah, and, I mean, you said you didn't. You thought you were better than people who drink pink gin. But how about this sort of deep red purple shade that we people got who here? drink this are bold and badass, and I love it. <laughs> <laughs> That's dangerous because it's so warming. It kind of feels like I'm sitting by a fire mm. on a cold winter's day. Yeah, and it's not coating my throat. It's not making no. me think I'm going to be thirsty. I'm actually going to just really enjoy. Drink it. I'm thinking about maybe I should put more in my glass. But do you know what it <laughs> well, makes me well. think of? Um, you know, in Alice in Wonderland, when Alice sees the things that say, eat me and drink me, if she yeah. found a little bottle of this and it said, drink me, <laughs> what would happen to her if she had a drink of it, I wonder? I'd like to think she'd have a great time. I think she would. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Right. So we are going to drink this cherry gin and we're going to talk children's literature. And specifically talking about diversities and the representation of of, of life in literature. Yeah. And of course, we were recalling things like Famous Five. Yeah. All the books <laughs> I read Secret when Garden. I was younger, not very diverse. No, definitely not. No. I guess my... My basic view of children's literature is that if something exists in the world, then it mm. should exist in children's literature. Yeah. So all the people, all the different lives, all the different um, issues that come up in the world, they should appear in children's literature. Yes. But a lot of people disagree with me on that. Interesting. Because they, I think we have this idea that, you know, you should protect children and you don't mm. tell children about certain things or... It's too adult for children or it's shocking or it's upsetting. You're going to give kids bad dreams or things like that. Um, Whereas I feel, you know, I'm I'm a parent myself and I feel that there's an age appropriate way to talk about anything with children. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you don't want to shock kids later, you know, when they find out, oh, my parents lied to me or they kept things from me. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, actually, you're you're talking to the converted <laughs> um, because yes. yeah, we agree agree with you. And and my parenting style has always been about talking about everything yeah. right from an early age, but in an age appropriate way. Which, as a child who's grown up, that I can say was bloody brilliant. So well done. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right because otherwise, what then happens when you come across things, anything, or experience something, or get you know just anything that you didn't know about from childhood um it can be hugely damaging I personally think yeah absolutely and I feel like children live in this world and they should have information about the things that are going on in this world and our world is really diverse I mean you were just mentioning some of the children's books that you remember and so many of them just feature white people middle-class people heterosexual people cisgender people able-bodied people for the most part you know but that's not what the world actually looks like and so Mm -hmm. it's a bit of a shock then to compare the world of children's literature to the world that really exists and we're doing children disservice really I think by not showing them the world as it is absolutely I mean if I can read stories about boys being teenage spies which not likely, I'm going to say it, love Alex Ryder, but oh, don't think they'd get away with doing that, then I can sure as hell read a story about a disabled kid. Well, and is there something then going about um, the escapism of children's books that it's all right to read things that are fantasy going, you know, that aren't real, that's easier to write about or to be more acceptable? I think that's because um, if you look at the books that are challenged or banned or censored around the world, most of them are children's literature. Mm-hmm. So if you think about it from a slightly cynical perspective, if you are a publishing company and you're thinking about your bottom line, because, you know, it is a business. So would you want to publish something that people are then going to criticize and say, we don't want that in our school library or our local library. We don't want that in our church. We don't want that in our homes. No, because you know that you won't make the sales. So you are slightly more conservative in what you publish because you have to think about who's going to buy these books. You know, it's not children who buy the books. It's adults, Mm -hmm. right? So there's this kind Mm -hmm. of power imbalance. As adults, we can go to the bookstore or the library and think, oh, I want to read a book on, you know, whatever, and I'm just going to take it off the shelf. But that's not what happens for kids. It's parents or grandparents or guardians, teachers, other people, other adults who are saying, oh, yeah, you can have this book, or no, you can't have this book. And so the publishers have to think about their audience. And unfortunately, in many cases, the audience is the adult. Yeah. And even when they are going to a library as such, a school library, they've all still been carefully curated by the school librarian. Mm -hmm. And then you're at the mercy of a good librarian or not who's going to be and school and and all of those sort of constraints is what the school would feel acceptable for what they want their children to come out with. Because, you know, literature contains messages and So what messages do you want readers to get and what messages do you think are appropriate? And, you know, I've heard so many stories from schools where they've had parents complain about books that are available. You know, in the U.S., a book that's often complained about is Harry Potter. And you might think, but it's fantasy. You know, we were talking about fantasy a minute ago. It's it's not real. And yet people were upset because it's magic and they don't want their children to think that there was magic. They wanted children to believe in reality or Christianity 
um, or some combination thereof. And so they were complaining. That makes this me book so does not sad. Yeah. As a kid who spent her entire childhood pretending magic was real and cried when I got a fake Hogwarts letter, that makes me sad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yeah. just think of how some children are missing out. Um, I was remembering there was also quite recently the whole um, uproar on um, same sex in literature in schools in England. Yes, that's right. So, I mean, obviously, so I'm gay myself and we're a two mum family. So for us, it's very standard in our children have books that feature two mums, two dads, trans characters. You know, it is normal for us. Um, but the number of people who've said to me, oh, well, I don't want my children to know about that because that's teaching my children about sex. I'm like, well, no, I'm not giving oh them God. You know, a Kama Sutra for five-year-olds. That's not what we're talking <laughs> about here. You know, it's, I'm not teaching them how, you know, two women might have sex with each other. That's not what it's about. It's about just saying some children have two mothers. End of story. Right. It's nothing shocking. It's not surprising. Yeah. That exists in the world. I know it exists because I'm and it. so many children's books already have parents in or relationships of some kind in. Why is it okay if they're heterosexual and not if they're homosexual? I think some parents are worried that if their child is going to read about gay characters, their child is going to go, "Oh well, I want to be yeah. gay too." Yeah. No, your child's just going to watch Keira Knightley and Pirates of the Caribbean, and that's what's going to do it. Yeah, <laughs> but also, but also within that, there's there's then the counter that actually what you're doing is detrimental because then you're showing them that everything that they may think about themselves is wrong because all they ever see is the representation that isn't them I, I just I I think that would be heartbreaking to go through never being able to find yourself or any truth within any kind of children's literature because everything is telling you that what you think and what you feel and what you believe life should be is is completely wrong whereas actually it isn't you it's society and the choices of the books that are being put in front of you yeah Yeah, I mean we when I talk about children's literature I often use this concept of the mirrors and the windows and so I feel that children's literature needs mirrors so that we can all see reflections of ourselves, who we are, who we might be, the kinds of lives we might lead. We owe it to people, exactly as you said, because can you imagine being, say, um, a gay preteen or teen, and you don't see anybody like you in literature, and you're sitting there thinking, am I the only one? Is something wrong with Which at that age, you're thinking that anyway, you know, so then it's just like magnitude. Yes, that's true. (laughs) But then... You know, you see other people like you in literature. Oh, okay, this is great. I'm not the only one. Um, And then the other side of it, of course, is the window. So looking out, seeing other people. And so for people who are not gay, oh, okay, I can read about gay people. Oh, they're very similar to me. There's It's a minor difference. Um, And that's true for all across the spectrum of things. You know, people who are different religions than you, we should read about them in literature. They exist. Let's learn about their beliefs or people who have different abilities or people who have different ways of life or, you know, whatever it is, different ethnic backgrounds, different classes. Um, It it just seems to me so obvious that we need the mirrors and we need the windows. Mm. And literature is a great place for that because it brings you close to yourself, but it just brings you close to other people. It's a way of meeting other people and other possibilities. And I feel so sad when I read that, you know, right now in children's literature, at most, 10% of the books might feature 10%. a black or ethnic minority character. 10%. At most, 
And that's high. That's that's the highest it's been, you know, and you look around the world and 10% of the population of the world is not black or ethnic minority. It is way more than that. So clearly children's literature and literature generally doesn't reflect yeah. you know, the way the world actually is. So even now, all these sort of years later of children's literature, it's still that slim of a representation. And I'm really intrigued as well in terms of that representation is some of that also the token representation Mm -hmm. because one of the things we were talking about before has been this, you know, I always joke about, you know, well, if you've got a, a... a black lesbian um, disabled person in your script, then you've ticked all those boxes, you know, job done. Exactly. So is some of that 10% and also And don't forget, they'll also token. be the best friend who has no life of their own is just there to support the main character. Oh, yeah, Every doesn't time. get in with the story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's totally true. I mean, because you look at um, research, they do a report on this every year here in the UK. And yeah, so many of them are not the main queer characters. And if they are the main characters, it's often in a very stereotyped way. So, you know, if you look at Black characters, for example, in children's literature from the US, oh, they might be living in poor neighborhood. It might be gang warfare. It might be police violence. And, you know, while those are really important stories to tell, that's not all there is to say. You know, they're Black people living in so many different situations. Why are we not featuring that in literature? So you're right. It is so much about the token, the sidekick and um, and the stereotypes, really. Yeah. And traditionally, those black characters within the children's literature have been the, um, the bad guys. And yes. so then you can reinforce what you want society be- to be teaching your children. I think that's just <laughs> makes me feel quite sick. <laughs> Are there any children's books that you would recommend for being diverse? Do you want to get your list out ready to write them down? I've got my list out, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely. So there there are some publishers, and I have to say it's mostly this, these kind of smaller independent publishers that are really yeah. making an effort to be more diverse in more ways. So, um, I mean, one of the bigger publishers is called Walker Books, and mm-hmm. they tend to put out stuff that is a bit more diverse, a bit more um uh, attentive to kind of what the world actually looks like. But some of the smaller publishers, um, you know, a pu- there's a publisher here in the UK called Book Island, mm-hmm. and I've actually translated a book for them. So so I'm a little bit biased here, but, um, you know, and they really focus on uh, publishing books from other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. So translated literature for children, which we don't often see from the other publishers. Yeah. And so think about what's missing there. You know, when we think about children's literature, we tend to think about stuff that's written in English. Mm-hmm. And so it's about people in the US or the UK. Usually, if you're lucky, you might get something from you know, Australia or Canada, yeah. but it's usually the US and the UK. Um, and all the other countries tend to be missing. If they are featured in children's literature, it's like, oh, okay, I'm just going on a trip to Greece, you know, my summer holiday mm-hmm. or something. Whereas a publisher like Book Island is actually thinking about, well, how can we bring their literature here mm. so we can read about people in those countries living those kinds of lives? Um, so there's certain publishers, I think, that are really making an effort. And, you know, there are books that are starting to sort of take on different issues. Um, you know, so talking about, for example, refugees, mm-hmm. asylum seekers, um, different levels of ability. But the And they have really, really good intentions. But I feel like often the problem is that they just sort of focus on, I'm going to tell you about what it's like to be a refugee. Yeah. Um, whereas I'd personally really rather see a story where it's about a refugee but they're doing something else yeah yes the refugee but that's not the focus of the story really it's about 
you know, they want to join the football team at school or, you know, something else that is not about kind of their identity. Yeah, yeah which links back to, we were talking earlier about one of um, Anya's favourite authors, Jacqueline Wilson, when she was growing up. <laughs> Raised um, on Jacqueline Wilson. But as a, as a parent, um, I would often feel concerned that she was reading too much Jacqueline Wilson because every story was about a, an issue. They were real issue based and, you know, that the there was always a chapter on opening presents. Never forget the opening present <laughs> chapter. <laughs> well, you see, I would have read into it a lot different to you because of yeah. the age gap. Yeah, it's, it's strange because there has to be some sort of balance, doesn't mm. there? I mean, you know, Jacqueline Wilson has done so much for children's literature oh, and a lot of amazing. people love the sort of, mm-hmm. you know, reading about issues. And she was talking about single parents and divorce and yeah. when people kind of were saying, nah, let's not feature yeah. that in children's literature mm-hmm. or that's kind of, you know, shocking for our society. So you can, I, I agree with you on the one hand that, oh, it's so issue-based, but on the other hand, I also see the, um, you know, the benefits to that, I guess. Mm-hmm. I feel like I'd like to see more of a trajectory, you know, so that we start maybe with the issue-based literature. So, okay, we're going to feature Native Americans, let's say, you know, Indigenous Americans, and we might talk about what it's like to grow up on a reservation or some of the issues that might come with that. But actually, then we're going to move on so that we have those books, but we also just see Indigenous American people getting on with their lives and doing other things, going to school or, you know, having problems with their friends or, you know, kind of everyday life um so we need both and it's very difficult to get that balance right Mm -hmm. you know so Jacqueline Wilson I think some of her more recent stuff she's trying I think to to move on that trajectory a little bit so that it's not that it has issues but it's also a bit more about some of the character development in some ways yeah Yeah. you're right that there's I think there's that there is the place for those issues and dealing with those issues but there is also just being able to see people and to be able to have the representation of of people as being um, like you but different in different scenarios because I think there can also be that sort of thought of these are other people far away from me and quite distant and so I can learn about them but they don't connect with me at all because they don't have same thoughts they don't have same sort of lives so actually just having that representation that you can see that we're all human yeah I mean literature is such a safe space because it allows you that chance to learn about things and to explore things exactly as you said to sort of see somebody who's a bit like you but different things going on to see what oh if I'd taken a different turn in my life or if my parents had chosen differently or if I had chosen you know that might have been my life and to explore that and that's really great and that's why we need such a variety in children's literature. You know, Jacqueline Wilson here in the UK, um, she's an equivalent in the US and I, I'm, I grew up in the US. And so for me, it was Judy Bloom. Yes. Oh my God, forever. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. <laughs> that was, my, yeah, was, that was the- my sex education book. <laughs> and then my mum took it and passed it around among all her friends going, how good is this book for teaching our children about sex? It was the weirdest experience. Oh. And he named his Willie Ralph. Yes, exactly. Nobody can forget that. And then if you meet somebody named Ralph, you're a bit like, oh, really? Okay. It's just so hard to yeah, get, get past that. Um, yeah, but I mean, she, she was doing the same sort of thing. Okay, she was the first person to talk about sex for teenagers, to talk about menstruation, to talk about masturbation, you know, stuff that really should be quite sort of standard issue, I think, yeah. in terms of conversations between parents and children, but parents aren't comfortable with it. So they did turn to literature like your like your mom did. Yeah. Um, 
So they serve such an important role. Yeah. And actually, when you talk about age appropriate, because talking about sex reminds me of Babette Cole, who oh, um, yes. I love. Mummy Babette laid an egg. Mummy laid an yes. egg. I've got that on my shelf. Yes. Yeah, that's a good one. And my favourite page is all the different sexual positions. Yes, on, that's right. On a, a space hopper. On a space hopper, a on skateboard. a skateboard, connected yeah. to a parachute. That's, yeah. that's right. <laughs> <laughs> or balloons, I can't remember which. But yeah, it was just, mm-hmm. and just a brilliant way to be able to talk about sex for yes. an age without having to go into the details but them knowing that it wasn't real in that representation too mm-hmm. that you didn't yes. have sex yeah. on the skateboard Speak or connected <laughs> And I, lo- I love that book because it reverses things, doesn't it? So it gives a lot of power back to the child reader because in the book, the parents are very uncomfortable about explaining things to their kids, yeah. aren't they? They are sort of hesitant, not really telling them the true story. And the kids are the ones who go, well, actually, no, this is what it's like. And it's great for children to know that actually I might know something more than my parents or, oh, yes, my parents don't always tell me the truth. And so I love books that are empowering for children and honest with children. That was just thinking about... Um... The, the literature, whilst you might share it with somebody, and especially when you're younger and having books read to you, but then when you start to read for yourself, it's a private experience so that you yes. can just read. Although I made you own... read everything that I was reading because I wanted to talk about it. Well, that's it. true. <laughs> but still, it's a private experience because yeah. you have your own thoughts and your reactions to things. So you can deal with all of that and then you can talk about it and you can share it with others. But it's quite a personal connection isn't it which I think is why parents and and adults generally are so protective of it and so worried about because they're worried about what their children are going to get access to and if their children are going to learn about a different belief or something that the parents don't agree with you know and and books are powerful so when adults say well I don't want my child to have access to that I can understand because they know the power of literature but I also really disagree with them Mm -hmm. because that's parenting isn't it you know that your child is going to disagree with you your child is going to have different choices different ways of being and that's you have to let them go you have Mm -hmm. to accept that and books are one way for them to explore it safely and ideally I mean it sounds like you had that wonderful relationship where you could then talk about it you know the children who don't have that who don't have anybody to read to them at night or who don't have somebody to talk to about books I mean and the fact is that I've been to so many people's houses and they don't have books for their children and they don't read to their children. I hate when I go into anyone's house and they don't have books I'm like I'm sorry I don't know if I can trust you. (laughs) Yeah what kind of it's hard not to be judgmental (laughs) isn't it but but, you know books are so meaningful and it's that the private experience, but the communal experience, there's yeah. so much going on in them. Um, is there also an issue with the authors of children's books not being diverse? Yes, that's such a good question. And you're right. And it's, again, kind of looking from the very cynical perspective of looking at the bottom line. It's who do publishers think that they can promote, mm-hmm. you know, market and what kind of stories do they want to tell? And so there's so many stories in the news about authors from different backgrounds who are being told by publishers, well, we'll publish your story, but could you change the black character to a white one or the gay character to a straight one or disabled one to an able body and so on. Mm. Um, And sometimes authors say yes, because they understandably want to be published. You know, you can't criticize them for that. Sometimes they say no, don't necessarily get published. Sometimes that diverse character, if you will, this, you know, quote marks there, mm-hmm. it's relegated to a side character. So, you know, things have improved from, you know, the time that I was young, certainly, but they're still not where they should be. And mm-hmm. it's true that it's, you know, 
white, cisgender, heterosexual, the class people who are primarily writing the stories. Mm -hmm. And that's problematic, too, when you think about representations of diversity, because is a white person the best placed person to write a story about somebody in China, for example? Yeah. Well, you can argue that writing is about research and getting to learn things. So maybe on the one hand, okay, but on the other hand, does that mean we're not hearing a Chinese author's yeah. Uh, story. And this is a debate we have on my course quite a lot because we're not all white, cis, straight, but we are a majority white, cis, straight writing class, which, you know, is disappointing, but you kind of go, okay. And then we had this debate about, you know, well, we want to make what we're writing diverse, but is there, you know, there's two arguments. There's the whole, I want to make it diverse, but am I the best place to write this? And you end up having these sort of debates about, well, I love the idea of writing this character, but I don't know whether I should write this character. I think that, um, I mean, my personal opinion is that if you do a lot of research, mm -hmm. you talk to people and you do it really respectfully, yeah. Yeah. then it's okay. Because mm -hmm. I, I really do feel, because I'm somebody like straight too, that, and, you know, writing is about learning. Yes. It's about a journey that you go on when you write. And so we don't want to be limited to only writing about ourselves, because frankly, we live our own lives and that's, you know, Maybe it's boring, maybe it's exciting, but we just have that one life to live, yeah. whereas through writing you can explore other Every, yeah. ways of life. Um, but we also have to be really careful because I have seen, you know, my own students work, uh, students who are like, yeah, I'm going to tell, you know, the Muslim story. And there's somebody who clearly hasn't done a lot of research. They go, oh, right, so I believe in Allah. And, like, that's kind of the extent of what they, they do. Oh, like, that's not quite enough. So I think yeah. it's that research and respect that are really key. Definitely, yeah. yeah. And avoiding the stereotypes, as we talked about earlier, yes. is to come and to see the stereotypes. Which some can be hard because they, be, um, they must be biases that often people okay. just don't even notice that they're doing. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Implicit bias. We all have it and we all have to acknowledge that we have different biases. It depends how we've grown up. You know, we yeah. all have prejudices of one kind or another. It's, you know, kind of we've evolved to, to be like that. It's understandable. It's just fighting against it, isn't it? And trying to educate ourselves. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, one thing that I think is just really an interesting and upsetting fact is that in children's literature, you find more animal characters than you find diverse characters. So that you find more animals, more bunnies and bears in children's literature than you find people of different ethnic backgrounds. Wow. I've never personally had a conversation with a bear either. Wow. <laughs> and still you must have all the standard stereotypes as well with all the animals. Oh, yes. Bunnies with eyelashes. Well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the delicate animals will always be the female ones. Absolutely. Yeah. And always eyelashes always represent females. I think I, yeah. I'm sure I've met men with eyelashes before yeah, yeah. and I've also yeah. met very short eyelashes. Hmm, there's something going on here. Yeah. I, I find the stereotyping, gender stereotyping is hugely problematic. I mean, mm -hmm. I'm a parent of two daughters and for me, it's so important to feature strong female characters in literature. Yeah. So I will not buy books with male characters anymore. I mean, we can get it from the library, but my children see men all the time, see boys all around them, boys, you know, trying to take sort of center stage, mm -hmm. um, men in politics, men in power. And I kind of feel like, yeah, actually, you know, if I'm going to spend my money, let's see, you know, a strong female character and give that message to my children because you just see so many stereotypes of boys saving girls yeah. and oh, yeah. Yeah. the girls being pretty. And I'm going to leap on this for a book, book recommendations as well, because I quite often find this 
um, quite difficult. And Anya has a younger uh, sister and trying to buy um, books with strong female characters that can be relatable in that way. Um, I see quite a lot of conversations on social media from other parents going, have you got any recommendations for? Because this is obviously something that people are wanting, but it can be really hard to find. Mm -hmm. So... Give me some recommendations. Okay, so, so first I'll recommend a website. It's called A Mighty Girl, and it has yes. lots of book suggestions and uh, other things. It's really fighting against kind of the genderization of books, toys, um, society generally. So I definitely recommend A Mighty Girl. Um, in terms of books, you know, picture books, there's a whole series of nonfiction books about uh, girls. It's really, it's really grown now, so, you know. Um, amazing. I, I might get the title. The fantastic. Is it called Fantastic Women from History? It's by Kate Pankhurst, yes. and they have yes. the women who are you know working for the environment, women from history, women who've accomplished amazing things. I'm getting the title slightly wrong, but there's a whole series of them. There was the, the Rebel Stories for Girls as well. The yeah. Rebel Stories, yes. And the Good Night Stories, Rebel Girls. Yeah. I mean, there's women so many in science and also women yeah. in space we, is another we one. We all of those. <laughs> yeah, those are great. So you know, those are great for nonfiction. My children like to be read those and to hear about women who actually did these things we need those stories and they're so inspirational because we mostly hear about men accomplishing things and certainly in my childhood you know when I was thinking about role models it was all men um you know I didn't I didn't know necessarily about women who were living the kind of life I might like to live um so for picture books um there's some books called like for example Rosie Revere Engineer I don't know if you've seen that one it's about um, a young girl named Rosie Revere and how you know, she makes mistakes, but she, you know, wants to be an engineer and how she can develop something. And there's um, sort of a sibling book to it called Ada Twist Scientist, which is, again, about a girl, a black girl in this case, who's a scientist and wants to discover things. And now they've, there's another book called um, Sofia Valdez for yeah. Prez. I think she wants to be president. Nice. And there's also a, a boy in the series, um, Iggy Peck Architect. And so it's re- they're a really nice series of books. Yeah. Hopefully they'll produce a bore. They're fun to read, beautiful illustrations. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I like books that kind of show people making mistakes and that it's okay mm-hmm. and then they learn from it. Mm-hmm. And um, so there's a, a book with a strong female character called The Most Magnificent Thing. And she wants to create something and she makes lots of mistakes, gets really angry. Mm-hmm. And she goes for a walk with her dog who calms down. And you know, so there's a great sort of educational message in there yeah. too about, yes, we do get angry when we... Uh, you know, can't succeed the way we want to do. Calm down, try again. And then she eventually tries again. And she doesn't get it exactly the way she wants it to, but still she's happy with it in the end. So, you know, lovely stories. Those are some of the picture books that, you know, I mean, there are loads of others, but those are some that we read quite a lot in our house. Um, For slightly older children, there's, um, there's a series called The Princess in Black, which has some, some people really like it. There are some people who sort of are detractors, it's nice because it's about a princess who wears black, but she is supposed to be, you know, wear pink fluffy dresses and you know, to be demure and go to tea parties. But actually she's out there sort of solving crimes. And so that's a really good early reader. We were talking about some of the boring early readers. This is good for children who are just learning to read independently. There's a whole series of them. Again, with so many things, it's a balance. But the number of people I talk to who, you know, feel... So my older daughter does karate. Nice. And the number of people who say, oh, yes, but my daughter does dance. And they think that's kind of the appropriate thing. Well, why couldn't she do dance and 
karate yeah. or, you know, dance and some other kind of sport. I mean, it doesn't have to be one thing or the other. You know, we're all very complex people. And why are we saying that certain things are for boys, certain things for yeah. girls? Why can't anybody be interested in anything? We're so limited in our society. Mm-hmm. And it's really upsetting sometimes. You know, that whole pink thing the fact that you have to either be the princess who's in the pink who likes the tea parties or the princess who's in the black who doesn't like the tea parties actually you could just be a princess who doesn't give a shit either way what color you wear and whether tea parties exist or not and you could just because you're too busy being your own version of Sherlock because you're just doing whatever you want to do and I think there's also that on the boys side as well you know that whole you know that you have to have something very um different to want to be not do football but to do ballet or to do something then that's that's yeah. even harder um to get us off this little soapbox a bit because i know <laughs> that we soapbox. could keep on it because we are the converted and yeah. so we could just be talking about it all the time i have a really important children's literature question for you why are stepmothers always evil? Oh, this pisses yeah. me off so much. Yeah. I found for the first time a book with a positive stepmother portrayal in, and I texted Sarah going, you're not going to believe what I found. I was so happy because I never found one. And growing up, I'd be like, oh, I'm off to see my dad and my stepmother this weekend. And everyone would be like, oh my God. And it's like, no. But we, and we joke all the time about the fact that I am going to keep giving her a red apple and, you know, that she is, instead of being Anya, she's Cinder Anya and I'll make her sleep on the hearth. (laughs) But I think you've put your finger on it because it is very much from the fairy tales, isn't it? And when you think about when kind of the sort of cultural and historical context of fairy tales, I mean, stepmothers in particular were a fact of life, weren't they? Because, you know, so many women would die in childbirth. And, you know, because, of course, a man can't take care of himself and his children. (laughs) He would want to get remarried very quickly. And so I think there was kind of a genuine sort of fear in people that, oh, gosh, this new woman's going to come in and she's going to want to have her own children. So those children will get priority and will inherit, you know, from from the man if there's anything to inherit. Do I need to check out the will? Yeah. <laughs> you you'd have to take care of them all, so that's what's in the will. <laughs> so I, I think it's like this strange kind of carryover from then that yeah. people were frightened of this new woman coming in. And I think probably, you know, when people today talk about oh family values, it should be one man, one woman, two point two children or whatever, that's never been the case through society, has it? It's we've often had step parents and um people separating even if divorce wasn't legal and different family setups, grandparents helping. And so I just find it so problematic that people are trying to push this idea of it should be, you know, a man, a woman. If a step-parent comes in, the step-parent, usually a woman is going to be mean and evil. You know, it's just it's very old stereotypes. I mean, she is evil. That's why yeah. we call you evilness yeah. or evil okay. one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can tell how evil you are because you drink gin with her and have a really nice time together. That's yeah. just so My badge cool of honour being evilness. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> What's particularly funny is when I'm upset and I go to you and I'm like, evilness. <laughs> and I think going back to um, the pr- portrayal within children's literature, that that split... And I know, you know, the splitting in families is is hard emotionally as well. But but having that represented in literature, it's often 
magnified and it is really hard and that getting to know a step parent and often there being those issues because it provides a good dramatic storyline um love to be the vehicle for evilness and um (laughs) sort of uh bonding and all the rest but Again, that comes back to your point about that the the not always having the representation within issues or within that storyline, but just having those people as being people with something else going on. Yeah, I mean, you know, nowadays in society, we see a lot of people talking about, oh, this, you know, conscious uncoupling, you know, when they're separating, we're still going to raise the children together and be friends. You know, we're not doing it in a big argumentative way. So why don't we see that in children's literature where it's just, okay, you know, my one parent lives here. My other parent lives here. That's my situation. I see them, you know, da, da. but actually my story is about Something you know, which else. university should I go to? Yeah. 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 Well, so, yeah, we are still so based in the issues. And I just want to see more stories that are about our everyday lives, because the fact is, is we all have issues in our lives, of course, but we all have kind of these everyday lives. We all have to get up and shower and eat and you know, go to work or school and deal with friends, deal with relatives, you know, just things on a very small scale. And maybe that's not considered dramatic enough, but that is real life for most of us, mm-hmm. most days. I think it? I talk about my stories that I write being interpersonal stuff. So I do, as my lecturer describes it, goes, you do emotional stories. Because <laughs> all the stuff I write about tends to be like internal conflict and relationships with people around them. And I don't do, you know, big explosions or whatever. That's not really what I write. But then he goes... But you always go slightly different from how I think it's going to go. And I was like, good, Sean, that's exactly what I wanted to be doing with my interpersonal stuff. Yes, yeah. I think, you know, people have a tendency to view those kinds of stories as sort of women's stories. And that, you know, it's a it's a chick flick or it's, you know, um, a women's novel or something like that. And they, they sort of put it in this genre. But actually, that is life, yeah. really, for most people dealing with other people, the interpersonal conflicts. Mm -hmm. And I just, I find that so sad somehow that we view it as something that, oh, well, girls and women would be interested in those stories, but as though boys and men don't have emotions too. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was just thinking that that exists within the children's literature as well, with the adventure stories, the the sports stories, those kinds of things being for the boys. And you'll enjoy this because this is a good adventure story, whereas those relational um, stories Mm -hmm. that are more about the emotions and the friendships being more directed towards girls. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, you know, there are a couple of things going on there. I mean, one is, again, you know, thinking about the bottom line, look, you can sell twice as many things. It's partially that. And it's partially this, um, you know, assumption on the part of adults that we know what children are like and we know how we need them to develop. We know what we want society to look like in another 10 or 20 years. So it's like trying to force these messages onto children about what they should be interested in and what they should like. And I find you go into the bookstore and it's just so blatantly obvious who they're selling what sort of books for. Mm -hmm. You've got your shelf of the dark blue books with, you know, a boy on the cover, you know, with a sword or something. And then you've got your pretty pink books with a girl wearing a pretty dress, you know, sitting around with her friends having a chat. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's a really lovely picture book called The Girls. um, And it features four girls. They're, They're close friends. And they are very different personalities. And it is the sort of interpersonal, you know, emotions about the connection between the four of them as they grow up. 
but they're but they're so different. So you know, one of them loves to have adventures, climb trees, go exploring the world. Another one wants to be a doctor, and you know that's great because we're not saying that all girls need to just sit around talking about their feelings and mm-hmm. you know be the ballet dancers and, and mm-hmm. be teachers or something. But we're saying, look, they're four friends; they get along, but they are different. You know, the book is diverse in terms of their skin color, though it's never talked about in terms of their sexuality, because you see them as they grow up mm-hmm. and you see that one of them has a female partner, again, never talked about. It's just, you know, in the images. And mm. it's so lovely to see that. We need yeah. more books like that, really, for, for boys and girls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. I think one of um, our favourite books for that's gone through all the children was You Choose. Oh, I loved You Choose. And yes, the You Choose stories, yeah. Oh, my yeah. God, they are just fabulous because again it is just that you read into whatever you want you make up your own stories you make it as an experience that you would want it to be and the whole sort of representation of life just happening in terms of what you would choose absolutely yeah and again why does something like that have to be gendered it doesn't and you've got this example of you know a set of books where anybody can read it and enjoy it and we really have gone into more of a gender time yeah I mean you said we should get off our soapbox about it and I think you're right but I just feel so concerned about kind of the lack of diversity that we see in literature generally and of course for me because I think children's literature is so important yeah I want to see it specifically in books for children yeah and do you think does it wax and wane do do we get periods where it's like where we'll all pay attention and we'll 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 publish all of these books and look how amazing we're doing at representing life in all of these books and then we sort of revert to type for a while I think so yeah I mean I think you know if, if I think about sort of the late 70s and 80s we were a little bit more gender neutral in some ways in terms of literature and toys. And then now it's kind of gone back in the opposite direction, but people are aware of it and trying to fight against it. So I think that that's true. You know, as generations change, our priorities change as feminism either becomes more or less popular, you know, that and and has more or less of an impact in society that changes. Um, It's just that I I, I guess I'm really eager for more change that I'm seeing, you know, and, and I, I mean, I shouldn't be so negative because in the past, let's say, 15 years, the number of books that feature LGBTQ characters has really exploded. Mm. And for me, that's been you know a really amazing thing to see, especially because the early books were very much sort of issue books. And now we see trans characters, we see intersex characters, we see people who are non-binary. So we are seeing more diversity. We're seeing characters where they come out as gay or bisexual. And instead of the parents kicking them out, which is what happened in the earlier books, now we see the parents just going, oh, how lovely, can I meet your girlfriend? <laughs> yes. You know, that kind of thing. And that and that's great because, you know, we were talking before about how lonely it might feel yeah. to be um, a teen and feeling like, oh, am I the only person in this situation? And then you read a book and, oh my gosh, this person came out as gay and their parents kicked them out and they lived homeless so, and yeah. then died on the streets. You yeah. Know? Um, but now we, we have something different and that's good. So we have seen some change in some of the areas of literature. It's just not quite as much. So let's taking it away from gender and um, sort of sexuality to looking at uh, um, disability mm-hmm. and things like that. Do the same sort of barriers occur? So the problem with um, disability in children's books is... I I like to call it sort of the set of D books. So books about disability, death, divorce, 
going to the doctor, going to the dentist, any sort of difference. All portrayed negatively. Yeah, very negatively. And also, they tend to be kept in their own section in the library Mm. or the bookstore because they're considered issue books. So, you know, if you go to um, the library and you say, oh, you know, um, my my child's been diagnosed with diabetes. Do you have any characters who have diabetes Mm. in picture books? They will take you to the separate section oh, here are issue books. Yeah. And then it'll be, I've got diabetes and it's all about having diabetes. Whereas um, there's a Swedish book actually that I just happened to read about recently where there's a character and you see them, you know, checking their blood sugar and having their insulin in the pictures, Mm -hmm. but it's not talked about in words. And so it's just normalized as part of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, But we have not gotten there in English to the same extent that has happened in some of the other languages. We really treat this in English as though it's an issue. So the main dis- disability disabled character I remember was Clara in Hi- Heidi. And that is a really old book. <laughs> yes, yeah, absolutely. I mean, so it is, I mean, it, I guess you could say good that it, we featured something so long ago. And you might also think about The Secret Garden, which you mentioned earlier, yeah. where, you know, Colin yeah. is sort of mm-hmm. um, unwell and kind of kept, you know, to his room. Mm-hmm. So just kind of wait to die, basically. Um, but, you know, nowadays you see so many... Um, picture books from usually from northern Europe where you might see a character who's got you know for example hearing aids Mm -hmm. or is in a wheelchair but it's not the focus of the story whereas in English Mm -hmm. if you see a disabled character it is so much about oh my friend's in a wheelchair what do I say to her or Mm -hmm. I'm now you know um, needing to use crutches what does that mean so we we make it about that and the same with you know talking about divorce we we Mm -hmm. feel like it's something only for somebody who wants who needs it in their life Mm -hmm. rather than just saying actually regardless of whether your parents are divorced or not, you should read about characters who have divorced parents because that happens in life. And it might happen to your parents one day. It might happen to you one day. Mm-hmm. Let's just feature it. Um, so I find it very problematic that we have to go to this. It's not in all libraries, I have to say, but in many libraries, what I call the D section, the issue bush books um, mm-hmm. section, where you've got to go and look for these particular themes. Mm-hmm. And again, a lot of the books actually with two moms or two dads are kept there. And um, yeah, books that talk about death um, because it's mm. thought too too scary for mm. children. And also, you know, we're talking about books, but actually representations on TV. Oh, and don't get film. me started on that. You know, I'll be it's there for a, hours. It's another whole area. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, and again, but I and I think a lot of the same thing applies, doesn't it? It does absolutely. And um, you know, you, we could talk about TV films. We could talk about. Um, advertisements as well and who they show and what stories they tell through adverts I mean it's fascinating I I would say that you know in literature there's more of a move towards diversity in children's literature there's a sort of campaign which is you know the hashtag own voices campaign so it's really about people from different communities telling their own stories so it's really pleasing that we're seeing more of that and that people are putting pressure on publishers so I'm hopeful that we are going in the right direction showing more mirrors and more windows for Mm. people Uh, it's not as far as we'd I'd like us to be at the moment but it's better than when I was a child anyway yeah well let's just hope it continues all day now (laughs) (laughs) do it (laughs) thank you so so much for talking to us been amazing. It was lovely to get to talk to you and really nice to talk to people who also care about literature and realize how impactful and powerful it can be. Definitely. Yeah, and thank you for introducing us to a yes. gin that we would never have never drank. drunk, but please but did. I will quite happy happily go to oh, as God. a neat neat gin. <laughs>
of an evening. <laughs> yeah, me too. And I'm also very pleased that I had the children's like, connection for us. Yeah, completely. Perfect. I'm going to go and revisit Jabberwocky now. Okay. Yes, you should. great i enjoyed that what did we learn we learned 10 percent fuming christ i'd forgotten that fact 10 percent that's gonna be my next fact that i'm using all the time when i go on my rants i like to keep a little notes on my phone full of different stats and statistics just so that whenever i'm in a pub arguing with somebody who disagrees with me i can pull out the facts i want to compare that Mm. i want the actual percentage of representation in society to yeah. then go 10% compared to yeah. because it is a massive difference. It's huge. And that is really, really shit. <sighs> Slightly. And then when they are, when we are representing... It's shit representation. Others, as you call it, shit. whatever others would be, it is either because we are making a decision to mm-hmm. show that as an issue... Mm-hmm. Um, or because we're ticking a box, yeah. but we need more just life. Mm-hmm. Do you know, wouldn't it be lovely when if it got to the point where literature was just all about the literature not considering representation of gender or di- diversity? Or- well, I think you have to consider it in some ways. I think you have to consider how you're writing it. You have to consider how it's going to be received by an audience in terms of does it make sense? Well, but, yes, that's what I mean. Yeah. But, but not in terms of issues, not no. in terms of... Although I think the there is also a small place for issue books sometimes as helpful tools, but I just don't think every book needs to be there. No, and the problem is, is that they're all so complex that, yeah. as we were saying, you know, if you've got a step, relationship Mm -hmm. you know it's going to be different for everybody that you can't just go all step relationships are like this so there you go there's the representation of what it would be (laughs) or if you're gay this is exactly what you're going to experience in life because that happens or if you have a disability this is what it is Mm -hmm. because it's all very different but it's good to know that it's improving but I'm also depressed to know that actually it was better in the 80s and 90s than it is now in terms of gender stereotyping specifically yeah I'm not overly surprised by that no I'm not either no it's depressing but good to know that there are loads of campaigns out there yep love that and good to know that you can find books few and far between yeah if, but if you do the work, you can. And that there are amazing authors out there yeah. doing good stuff. Yeah, definitely. And now we've got lists of things to go and purchase, yes. yeah. places to follow, <laughs> uh, things to sort of campaigns to join up with and all sorts to sort of help that journey. And literature is so important. If you think we've talked complete shit, send us an email and we'll fight with you. you think it doesn't matter let us know next time you're going to a birthday party for a child buy them a book buy them a book buy them a really interesting book i've received some books from you sarah so i'm just too careful just just, you choose buy them you choose all the time you choose is a banging book yeah yeah drinking neat gin is is surprisingly nice. nice Surprisingly nice. Mm-hmm. I was impressed. One of the difficulties with children's literature is that all the decisions are being made 
by adults everyone other than the child yeah so the publishers are choosing what they publish Mm -hmm. they're getting involved Mm -hmm. and changing Mm -hmm. the ways things are representing and Mm -hmm. being written Mm -hmm. the parents and the schools are choosing what are being put out on offer to Mm -hmm. children and then even when a child is saying they want to read that book that could then be changed because adults have the power over that so along that way a lot of things are being diluted and being I've learned that yet again, Sarah is unable to do anything in short sentences. I'm not, because I end up visualising it all. <laughs> and all I want to do is go and scoop up all these kids and go, I'll buy your books. Don't scoop up kids you don't know, Sarah. <laughs> no, we won't go that don't far. Don't do that. We won't go that far. <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, listen to more. Listen We've got tons. Got loads. And if you like them, really, really like them, you could always leave us a review because apparently they're quite helpful. You can also subscribe. You can. And then you don't even need to go and find us. We just appear. Every single week. Yeah. We are on Twitter at... Topic Gin. And on Instagram... Topic Gin. (laughs) Join us next week for another gin and another topic.